Good morning. And in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening and good night. Welcome to episode 8 of the Save the Stub podcast. I'm joined, as always, my eternal burden by my colleagues, my protégés, my confidants, Will Foster and Roy Manair. How are you doing, guys? Great. I'm good, I'm good. I've realised we never introduce the host. It's always just I am here. Yeah, I mean, I'm. Who I feel you? like they know I'm here. My aura, as well as my commanding voice and presence on the podcast, the HLO speaks speaks and introduces itself. Um, but enough about me. Come on now. This week, uh, our main focus is the Mauritanian. It's a, an Amazon Prime film that's uh, received a fair bit of award interest even a couple of wins, uh, following the life of a man detained in Guantanamo for something he may or may not have done, uh, but illegally detained nonetheless. Uh, promises to be a politically charged sort of film, but um, we'll probably do some light things like the news and some questions first. So, you ready to jump in, boys? Let's do it. I'm ready. Well, this week in the news, it was dominated by the BAFTAs. Um, who doesn't love award season? What did you make of the BAFTAs this year, Harry? Uh, I watched a little bit of it, and um, they had like canned laughter. Oh, surely like, not. It's like an award ceremony. Like, why? What's the point? Do you know what I mean? Like Hugh Grant would make like a quite a bad joke about him being posh, and then you get like like you listen to Big Bang Theory, there'd be some fucking Ooh, laughter in the background. Painful. Um, but, you know, I suppose they're doing what they can with what they have. Uh, Were you surprised to see Nomadland um, win Best Film and Best Director? Um, I was going to say uh, no, because... And then I realised I haven't seen it, so I can't actually make that judgement. <laughs> people seem to think it's really good, so I think that's sort of fair enough. Especially, I mean, this BAFTA season's almost redundant to actual people, because we haven't seen any of them, and you can't have seen any of them. Uh, a couple of them are coming out. Nomadland comes out soon. Sound of Metal comes out soon, and a few other ones. But how can they well, like, um, give, give them the awards if, like, we as British people can't even see the film? Like, I was going to say, Will, to you as, like, someone just kind of piquing their interest in film, is it weird thinking of awards when it's, like, they're so separate from the individual viewer? Yeah, like, the more we talk about awards, like, quite, quite a lot, and we have done recently, like, the more we talk about it, the less interested in them I become, weirdly. Oh, like, I, I almost really don't care what they say anymore. Like, as a very, like, as an outsider, you could just, like, see what wins and maybe pick a few films from it just on an off chance to watch. But to be honest, they just seem stupid to me. Dumb. The people that run them, dumb. The people that win them, dumb. Like, not interested. Scathing at criticism from And that's you, from right? a man who's seen about 20 films his entire life and thinks Ratatouille is a pinnacle, so take that on board. Right, British well, Academy one of those film films, Soul, uh, won Best Animated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. we can't argue with that, but like you said, it's a bit of a... It's not the most explosive year of awards. We're not, we're not exploding with options. Well, that um, category had, like, two other nominations. It's not even, like, a full... It looks like all the others have got, what, like... One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, there's only three. And what is Wolf Walkers or Onward? 
neither of those I've even heard of. So Onward was a big DreamWorks film that came out earlier this year with Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Rebook. Okay, yeah, that sounds quite big to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, come <laughs> yeah. on, Will. But one big bit of the news from the BAFTAs was um, Anthony Hopkins winning Best Actor. Now, again, yes. none of us have seen these films, but a lot of people were expecting Riz, ah- Riz Ahmed to um, to win for Sound of Metal. Harry, how shocked do you feel right now? Uh, if Riz Ahmed manages to go the entirety of the awards season without winning, uh, let's say, one of the big three of Oscars, BAFTAs and the third one, um, Golden Globe. Didn't we already have the Golden Globes? Yeah, yeah, but this is what I'm saying. If he gets through all three and hasn't won, okay. you are going to have to wonder, or he'll be wondering, sorry, what more he really has to do to get an award. I understand the Golden Globes going for um, Chadwick Boseman, obviously, but this seems like a weird one. No one thought Anthony Hopkins was the front runner. Maybe didn't even really consider he was in the top three nominees for that category. You know, you had Stephen... Uh, Yen for Minari, you had Riz Ahmed, as, as, as I mentioned, and Chadwick Boseman was nominated. So it seems like a really odd one, to be honest, especially given Riz Ahmed is a, a British actor as well. It seems like the perfect opportunity, really, for him to get an award I mean, on Anthony home. Hopkins is also a British actor. Yeah, obviously, but I think he's also won, you know, it's Anthony Hopkins. He's had, think, his, isn't he he's had his time in the spotlight. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um it's kind of it's like we've said it's just weird that all of this is so hypothetical because none of us have seen these films and because we can't so like trying to kind of have any kind of opinion between these films is just impossible that being yeah, said it's... harry one of your favorites tenet um one for its special one for its special effects now you may not love the film but when it comes to the effects tell us about them well, so this is interesting. So we had this discussion last week about how there's no such, or in my mind anyway, there's no such thing as a naught out of ten film, and and not not that ten is anywhere near to being a zero, but this is this is good proof why almost nothing you could produce in Hollywood ever could be a zero, because for all the faults I have with the 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 story and the plot and the acting in this film, the visual effects of Christopher Nolan films are probably the best of any director I can really think of uh, ever. You know, you could argue things like Kubrick uh, working with what he had back in the 60s and 70s and etc. But, you know, Nolan films look amazing. Interstellar is the best looking film I've ever seen. And Tenet does look really good. You know, they do some cool stuff with um, reversing time and, you know, obviously you see all these behind the scenes bits of... uh, David John Washington doing fights in reverse and, uh, you know, Robert Pattinson practicing these roles that he's going to have to do in reverse when it comes to the actual scene. It's cool. The special effects do look good. Some people argue that the score should have been um, a bit more highly touted for awards and stuff, but I actually thought that was a little bit of a weak spot. It wasn't Hans Zimmer, who it normally is. It was Ludwig Göransson, I want to say, who is also a very, very prestigious um, composer, sorry. Um, but yeah, I didn't think it was, I thought if, if it deserved anything, it was recognition to the people who put in the hours animating everything in that film. So, you know, fair play to that. Will, do you think special effects needs kind of to, we need to be reminded that it needs to be recognized or do you think we're at the point where we expect excellence from like the, the effects in films? Yeah, I think like Harry's raised a good point. Um, probably a, 
it's more to do with like celebrating the people that otherwise wouldn't really get recognized on films because the amount of work that some of these people put in and the skill it takes to um to get films to look like they do these days in particular is is pretty mind-blowing to be honest with you and i'm pretty sure quite a lot of budget is spent on that element of the film of films that are released at the moment as well so i think it's definitely got its place but to be honest i think like not many people still really you know you look at that category and it probably goes over most people's heads even people that are quite into films probably not that interested in it but it'd be nice um to see that like kind of a bit more represented um and there's a bit like the animation like there could be a whole nother film awards for stuff like that i guess it's a bit like the animation argument that we made a while ago like how can you have just one type of animation like an animation category because it can be so varied maybe there could be something similar for kind of like technical stuff in film maybe there is but you know like we don't hear about that kind of thing but yeah big yeah, fan yeah we should probably should be hearing about it more um but yeah to round us off we'll look at the e rising star award which was given to bucky bacray um i haven't seen anything from her or the film rocks that kind of shot her onto the scene harry do you do you know any more than i do not really. She's she's only got two credits on IMDb, so it is genuinely a rising star sort of award. But um, this is the thing about award ceremonies as well. You see a lot of these people get their awards, and their overwhelming feeling looks like ambivalence, which is incredibly depressing to watch, <laughs> considering someone else is literally watching you get the award for fun. So when she won, and her whole family went mental screaming in the background that's it that is what i want to see from the war ceremony i'd like to see some people actually appreciative of what they've been given by people who revere them particularly i uh, feel as well they've had to put ee in the title to be honest for rising star like i mean they don't sponsor <laughs> snickers don't sponsor best actor do they you know i feel like as well it, it kind of highlights the meaning behind a lot of these awards when especially when people can't see the films when you have all these controversies that go on behind kind of the board that choose the films, seeing kind of a proper meaningful, significant moment for the people receiving the awards is a bit nicer, um, which kind of, when we looked at the Golden Globes and technical issues and the kind of not quite right presentation of the awards, I feel like that shows they're not quite going in the right direction. Yeah, I um, think on the other hand though like maybe having them remotely this year and like everyone's in their own homes and they're probably surrounded by their like close friends and family that was probably like a really good opportunity for the industry to kind of remove the curtain you know like harry says it's great to see someone that's just with their family like 19 years old they win an award and they're like absolutely buzzing with it and it's probably gone a, you know gone a bit amiss that we don't see more reactions like that because I feel like people should be comfortable, particularly at this time, even with it being remote, if you know what I mean. I mean, for the for the record as well, for the best actor category in which Anthony Hopkins won, he wasn't present for the award, nor was one of the other nominees, Mads Mikkelsen, I think. So, you know, you, you've literally given an award to no one at that point in time. I'd almost rather you gave it to someone else and they actually had a, a, a reaction than... He's, he just almost can't be asked to go on Zoom for five minutes during an award ceremony. Yeah, completely. Well, looking elsewhere in the news, um, controversy across the pond in Georgia um, with the introduction of some, well, controversial voting laws and Will Smith's film, Emancipation, 
um, has pulled out of the state of Georgia because of these laws. Um, Harry, how 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 used to you? That that doesn't make sense. No, not really. I'll let you go um, again. I'll, yeah, I'll try again. Harry, what do you make of the way that cinema kind of inter interacts with politics, um, especially when we see news like this coming out? I think it's good. You know, it surprises me, actually. Normally, you wouldn't see much movement, but I think there's been a general consensus. You know, baseball's also had their all-star game, you know, a celebrity sort of game pulled out of Georgia. Um, the US is a weird one, though, isn't it? I mean, they just do stupid shit over and over, as we're going to discuss in the film. The US love doing stupid shit. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like... I think it's a good thing. Like I, I don't know how much executive control Will Smith actually has over the film. I wonder if he's in it or if he's directing or whatever. But to to move seems like a really good idea to me. I don't think you sit you, you. It's the only political power, arguably, some of these people will actually be able to exert other than voting. So I, I support it. I think it's a good idea. But I can't imagine it actually having that much of an effect, rather than almost being like a. Let's avoid a Disney working in China scenario like the farce they've had over the last couple of years with Mulan it's an interesting one though because I think when it comes to money it's certainly significant um maybe a sign that when it comes to politics uh film companies are a bit more willing to stop following the money um in the sense that I think the main reason they were shooting in Georgia rather than Louisiana where the film's set is that uh tax like tax rules basically meant it would be a lot cheaper Hmm. um and we've seen, as you mentioned, with the MLB pulling the baseball all-star game out, that I think that was going to cost the state of Georgia like $100 million um, for losing that event. So, yeah, I think when you kind of see the influence money can have, that's probably the best way to convince these big corporate bodies uh, that you want real change. Yeah. Um, I mean, so. these laws are, are borderline, you know, they're... Pre, they're philistine aren't Just they explain, they're jim crow-esque laws bit, like, so the two main ones that i saw were mail-in ballots so people who can't vote in person now need to pr- um, have a form of id proved with them which to be fair isn't to me superficially looking at it doesn't sound like a horrible idea but there i think there was some issue with that in that there's never been something required before or i think maybe is id with voting is always quite controversial because you have quite a lot of people who don't really have any form of id People who don't mm. drive and a lot of Americans don't have passports, like they kind of having ID isn't really, yeah, isn't like it an like the majority accessible thing? The majority of Americans like don't ever leave America, like they they just stay there. Yeah. They don't. I mean, I mean, it's 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 a ruling targeting the working class. Yeah, that is the, the essence of it is that they're targeting the working class in the deep south of America, where they know that um, a large percentage of their voting majority is from the black population and that that is and you know the other law was (laughs) this sounds horrendous by the way no food or water is allowed to be given to people queuing to vote unless you were a member of the like someone working at the polling station that that is can you imagine queuing at the village hall and you're not allowed a custard cream (laughs) well it's worth mentioning like that's actually mad for our local like whatever council elections it it's not quite the same thing like you can go to the hall and there might be like one or two other people there because they're open all day and our villages are all not that populated but i think it works a bit differently in america to the point where 
you can be queuing for like hours and hours. We, yeah. I think you saw it on the news with the recent presidential elections. So it, it, it's a bit different. It's a bit more of a big deal than. And there's almost like it. filibustering to stop people voting. You know, there's in- intimidation tactics and things like that outside. It's just. Well, I think going along with that as well, one of the rules basically meant that people were going to have to travel a lot further to vote if they weren't mm-hmm. doing mail in votes. So if you're traveling and you've got less access to like food and water while you're waiting to vote, it is just again targeting those less um, kind of more impoverished people. Yeah, I mean it's it's just scummy through and through. So yeah, fair play to them moving it. I don't, I fully back that. Yeah, and you're you're right, Harry. Like America is weird, and in a way, I agree with you that probably not a lot of attention is going to be paid to this like after the fact. But no. At the same time, America is weird because it's like these kind of things that really bother like politicians almost more than pretty much anything mm-hmm. else. You know, like big sporting events, big entertainment events. It's like one of the last yeah. things that I feel like the American people have that really puts a statement. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Well, that brings us to the end of the news. Let's head to the mailbag. All right, so we've got um, some interesting questions sent in this week. Let's just kick off with the first. And keep one. sending them in. Yeah, because please, uh, we added. I mean, we've got we've got hundreds, but you know, we could have thousands. We need you, Stubbies. Please, this is an appeal. Stubbies, help gang. us out. I had to put a last minute appeal out the day before recording to get a, a few more in. But yeah, we've got a good selection. So let's start with. This is so. What a beautiful question this is. What was the last film to make you cry? Harry, why don't we go to you first? Never cried, mate. Not me. <laughs> Real men don't cry. Last... No, correction, no correction, you know. Anyone can Do you know cry. what? We'll, we'll leave that. Rory... People won't understand this when I say it, but Rory will. Right. There is a TV show called Futurama. Oh... Now, see, Where's you see, going? we know where this is going. <laughs> Futurama is obviously a comedy, but there are some episodes that the heartstrings, they're going to get played like a fucking cello, my dude. Honestly, I'm talking Fry's Seven Leaf Clover. Yeah, I mean, that's like I actually classic. don't. I actually don't care about the dog. I'm no, sorry. I actually I, agree. I, I think the stuff separate from Seymour is, is more yeah. emotional. Jurassic Bark's not that emotional. Um, the one about his mum's okay, but the rest of the episode's a bit boring. But his whole thing, you know, him learning how to play the holophone, oh, wow. You you will, I guarantee it will, if you were to go and watch it, with with no preconception about what you're going to see, you would cry. This is and, and also Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just really, really, really good. Really good. Okay. Um, and also Crash. I cried at Crash, but Crash is... Crash is a superb film, so I don't feel bad about that. That's interesting, though, because I feel like... I can't remember if I've seen Crash, but the fact... It's quite, like, a serious, like... I'd, I'd love to review Crash at some point. We'll, yeah, Crash, we'll is, Crash is amazing. But um, I feel like unless your film's going down the route of purposely kind of being either really personal or really emotional, it's not normally a tearjerker. But was Crash one of those for you, or...? It is an emotionally charged film, okay. but I wouldn't say it was sort of the 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 style of thing that would normally bother me. Normally, I'd look at it and I go, "That I hate this sort of rubbish," mm. but it crashes different class. Yeah, Americans hate it. It's the um, it's the best picture Oscar that's most commonly found fault with, um, but I think it's because Americans refuse to 
accept that racism exists in there. I'm having a real bash for America today. <laughs> Go for it, man. And it's not going to get better when we start listening to the review. But yeah, it's um really, really good film, really special film. All right, Rory, what were your thoughts on this? Uh, well, it's interesting. I, the last, I always think of one film when I talk about films that make me cry, which is weird because I watched it again recently and it didn't make me cry. But um, the Space Jam. <laughs> oh, you know, Michael Jordan. God damn. No, um, the terminal with Tom Hanks actually <laughs> made me cry. Um, something about his like personal struggle, the fact he felt so like hopeless, because it's basically about this guy who flies to L.A. or JFK. Um, yeah, flies to America essentially, and while he's in the airport, his country goes um, basically stops existing. Like there's a war, there's like a conflict. And he loses his passport because his passport like expires because the country doesn't exist anymore. Um, and he basically gets trapped in this airport and he's not allowed to leave like into America or um, back to his country. Uh, it's actually a really good film. I really like it. And it's it's got a bit too much rom-com in it. It doesn't need the romantic stuff like at all. Um, but no, it's emotional. This poor guy has no idea what to do and is just surrounded by people who speak a language that he doesn't. Would you say that Tom Hanks's um, butchered Eastern European accent makes it more or less of a tearjerker for you? I feel like the fact I watched it first when I was so young makes me very kind of numb. Okay, so there's like a nostalgia fact, uh, factor. I think as well. the fact that his like his not bad acting, like I guess bad voice acting, like his accent, I don't really notice. Um, it'll be interesting to talk about accents later in the uh, in the podcast when when did you cry at what like as in sorry not, not when was... in the film but like when did you watch this oh no it wasn't as in when did i cry as in wait let's say that again in the period of your life when, when oh did i you would have cry? been like 14 oh right oh i thought okay i thought you'd seen it recently no i mean like i said i watched it again recently and uh, didn't cry but you know <laughs> yes will let's go to you I'm worried for my mental health. Just admit because you cried I, Ratatouille. I actually can't remember. I know the last time I cried, but I really struggle. Is it when to... he served him the Ratatouille and he like had that flashback to his his that, his parents cooking Being a little him. boy? Yeah, when uh, what's his name? Ego. Ego. That's it. When Ego had Eagle. a flashback. You know what? That is actually an incredible scene. Or despicable in that film. me. No, no, no. When the food critic in Ratatouille, when he has that flashback. Well, you think all the scenes are incredible. You can't keep Mate, talking about Ratatouille he, every week. Drops, do you know what I mean? Watch another film. Mate, he drops the pen, which is his only weapon against the world as a critic. Drops oh, it and lets it go. Anyway, yeah, yes, I did. Actually, I got that from YouTube. But um, <laughs> So, yeah, like I said, like unless something's actually personal to me, like it's happened in my life, I actually do struggle to get properly emotional. And also not being that into films... Like until recently, I didn't actively try and remember a lot of films I saw unless it was like really good. But um, oh, sorry, no, no, sorry, <laughs> sorry, cheers, Harry. Um, uh, I had a recommendation from a good friend to watch a film like really recently. I watched it only a couple of days ago called Into the Wild. And objectively, like I actually didn't particularly enjoy the film, and it's it's like a slow burner, and it's not particularly narrative. Um, so I was like in this film for the long haul basically and I was watching it I wasn't getting any payoff Um, I didn't necessarily cry but I did get I'd say emotional at the end but my eyes were leaking just just a bit I was sweating Um, 
Like just you sweat when you cry. I'm sweating from my eyes, mate. Oh right, that's sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it was like an emotional release, I guess, because like I, I personally felt like nothing was really happening towards the film. <laughs> oh mate, that is not a phrase I am allowing on my <laughs> what, podcast. What? What phrase? Is you having an emotional release? <laughs> I, it was weird. I, I wouldn't describe it as crying because it wasn't. You sound like you really kind of familiarize, like yeah, mate. what's the word? Not familiarize relate you like you really relate to this character from the sound of it yeah so like the character is really his story is about being pessimistic of the modern world and he basically just wants to escape in pursuit of happiness (laughs) which i relate to do it will (laughs) go um but yeah like i said so like nothing was really happening and there wasn't really a story behind what was going on but then the last like 10 15 minutes of this film were incredibly intense just because of what happened and there's quite a physical transformation of this guy on screen and the actor that played him, by the way, I'm not sure like how he got to that state. Um, Emil Hirsch, decent actor, like played the character reasonably well. But yeah, it was it was just like it was incredibly intense, and all of a sudden, like the type of music that had been playing throughout the whole film, like completely changed. It was very kind of like dark. Spoilers. Yeah, I've, not not too much, hopefully, in there. But yeah, I've I also realized that was interesting. I was, I was wrong about the film. The last film that made me cry was Room. Uh, with Brie Larson, is that her name? I see. I didn't like it at all. I I liked. I really liked that film. Um, yeah. And some. I think it's after she. She. Uh, no, I can't. I can't speak without spoiling it. Yeah. But no. It's what. Yeah. To do with the I relationship mean, with though. her son. Um, yeah. Yeah. What about Marley Maybe, and me? Uh, no, Will. I never never saw it. <laughs> never saw on. it to the end. I saw a bit where he's question. like dragging the dragging the dog I, along the concrete I, out the window. I've never seen it. I saw. I've never seen it. Yeah, I don't think you're missing out. To be honest. All right. Next question then. So, Dead Space, Dead Space, Dead Space. It's my favourite video game franchise. (laughs) (laughs) What would we most like to see made into a film or TV show that isn't currently? So I'm thinking probably like historical events or maybe something like a particular type of film that's there's only been a few made about it. Uh, Rory, why don't we go to you first? Sure. Um, I think it's, it's hard it struggled to think of an answer for this um just because it, it's hard not to just think of historical events i kind of am leaning towards something like egyptian like ancient egypt because i used to really vibe with ancient egypt and um i can't think of any films off the top of my head that are like set there um, exodus gods and kings christian bale oh, i mean <laughs> that's the kind of thing i, I wouldn't want a film like that I'd want something that kind of looks a bit deeper, um, yeah. at like maybe like a person, like like an individual story rather than like the gods and stuff. I mean, Christian Bale did play Moses. Like, does that make it any better? I mean, I'm not convinced. Um, would you Would you like a like a like a Tutankhamun biopic? Something like that? Yeah. Or a, or a Cleopatra one actually would be more interesting. Yeah, potentially. Um, I think I mean, what I quite like about Egyptology, yeah, Egyptology is that like it's all kind of people like a lot of it's true but it seems so like foreign and distant like it seems like fantasy when it probably isn't yeah it's i get Um, what you mean it's almost like there's a blurred line between like mythology and like reality yeah with that period especially with like pharaohs and stuff something interesting about it as well you know the egyptians were as far from the greeks the ancient greeks as we are from the ancient greeks 
Yeah, I remember. Yeah, they're like that. really ancient. That's how old societies. Egyptians are. Yeah. Like scope-wise, I think that's so hard to sort of contemplate. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree, Rory. I think that'd be a really interesting like concept. Yeah, I would also watch that. Yeah, Harry, um, what, 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 what do you think? I have three. Three. Sorry. Wow. One of them's in a similar vein to Rory. One of them is the Roman Empire. Now we've seen a lot of like Roman military ones. I don't care. I want to see the heart of Rome Senate sort of stuff. Now, this is somewhat influenced by some books I've been reading at the time, but I was thinking about as well, there's an HBO documentary, uh, not documentary, sorry, TV show, I think we've spoken about before, called Rome, that was apparently amazing, but not enough people watched it, so they had to cancel after a couple of seasons. And Rome has such a vast scope for good stories. You know, I'm talking political intrigue, but you can still add in the... You know, it's Game of Thrones without the dragons. That's literally what Rome is. It's amazing the stuff you've got with their stories, and Italy's such a sick setting... And Gladiator shows you what you can do with even like a less violent film. You know, if you actually think about the violence of Gladiator, it's few and far between. It's more about the characters they build up. So Rome's a big one for me. Second one, and this was something I thought about after I'd seen Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan's, one of his more recent films, um, a Battle of Britain film. The standard of, my favourite part in Dunkirk was comfortably the aerial stuff. So the bits with Tom Hardy in. Um, those are the best bits of the film. They look really good. And I, th- I have a feeling there is a Battle of Britain film being in somewhere in the early stages of production somewhere, but I would I would vibe with that very heavily. I think that could be really, really good. Because we've not seen one of those since, you know, I'm talking like the golden age of cinema, British, let's kill the Germans 20 years on, sort of remembering the war stuff. Do you know what I mean? Can you Borderline think of like an air, things. like a kind of, what were they called, dogfights? Um, Top Gun. I mean, Top Gun, and then and that's the only one, isn't it? Made, and, it's, and it's not the Americans. And it's not. They made a um, the Tuskegee Airmen. They've they've made like a film about them, but I, I like it was called like something. The right squad stuff. Or, oh no, maybe not. Um, but I don't remember it doing well at all. So I don't know whether that was like they what went wrong. Um, yeah, but it would be yeah, really. You cool know, they're, see, they're tricky to do, but the stuff that was in. Dunkirk was good enough for me to think, yeah, I would watch. I would comfortably watch a whole film centered around that that particular event. And then um, the final one, talking less about historical and more about current. I, I do enjoy a biopic when they're done really well. And I think sports is another thing that I'm big on. So Tiger Woods. Now you can hate Tiger Woods for who he is as a person. I, I don't. I wouldn't disagree with you. I think he's probably a terrible bloke. I mean, it, t- it came out. It came out last week. He was driving eighty in that thirty zone where he crashed and broke his leg or whatever. But his life is mental. Like he has, you know, in terms of from an athletic standpoint, it's incredible. From a monetary standpoint, it's incredible. From I think a racial standpoint, especially in a game like golf, it's incredible. You know, you can dislike golf, but you can still accept that his career is amazing, and especially him winning the Masters uh, a couple of years ago. That was amazing. So I'd love to see something like that. I think that could be really good. But my one thing with sports films, you have to get someone who can convincingly play the sport. Now, I don't know if either of you have seen Invictus. The rugby in Invictus literally looks like my D team from school. It (laughs) is horrendous. There's close-ups where it's like, okay, that could be like... But then you watch like the the back line of, of a World Cup winning team who can't pass... And I'm sort of thinking, no, that's probably not it. Or 
I'm trying to think, there are some other films that I'm trying to think what other big films. Occasionally, you watch some of these basketball films, you're like, oh, I don't know if they can. Or American football films are a real thing with it. Oh, American football films are painful. Yeah, really bad. And you don't have many, like, I can't think of many football films, do you know what I mean? Or, I mean, who the fuck's going to watch a cricket film? Or. <laughs> I mean, yeah, pre- you know, presenting the deal. actual sport of a sports film is a very big challenge. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult tr- it's for like most skills, right? Isn't it? You know, I'm just thinking about musical instruments and like things like that as well. Well, that's like, why it's almost one of those things, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but it's almost one of those things where like you see actors who have to play the result, the role of a musician, for example, and they do music lessons for the for the ten months before they start the role. Do a golf lesson every day, like it just wouldn't be that bad, you know. Get someone to really work with you on the swing. And the mannerisms, because there he's got some really. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting too into it, but like, <laughs> it, it if that was done well, and I have no doubt that it will be done at some point, yeah. I think that could be amazing. It's gonna, it's gonna happen, isn't it? Maybe I think maybe it might be a little bit too soon, just because he's still playing. Oh yeah, no, it will be too soon. It's like I think they've just started, maybe like a Michael Jordan one. Yeah, because yeah. he's been retired for long enough now that they think they can get away with it. And I think fair enough, you know, go for it. But it's yeah, those, those say, are the three um, sort of things. It's I'd interesting like that to you see. said Rome and I said Egypt because I feel like there was a period of cinema where people like Kirk Douglas, John Wayne, even, yeah. like those guys, yeah. like they kind of churned out films about those periods in time. Um, but it's kind of been like a lull. Um, it would be cool to see see that brought back a little bit. It might be cyclical. So I quickly, I did have a few thoughts about this and I think there's a real gap. No, this might not be everyone's cup of tea but i i think there's a gap for some shakespeare like modern day shakespeare films to be made everyone modern day retellings yeah so every like 90 percent of people have probably seen the romeo and juliet in like gcse english whatever right call me a big dum-dum for not reading all of (laughs) shakespeare's like literature in old english but recently i've been reading modern shortened adaptations of his stories and like they're really good um when you can actually comprehend kind of like what's going on uh i read julius caesar king Lear recently and both of them have got like really good moral messages and i just think it's kind of a similar thing with like classical music these things have been like listened to and they've stayed around in society for now like hundreds and hundreds of years so they obviously have value and people enjoy them um I just feel like Shakespeare at the moment isn't accessible, but it, it's got real potential um, because it like the guy, the bloke's stuck around for like 500 years now and people are still reading his stuff. So I don't see why there can't be an adaptation of that into film. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? <coughs> well, this is the thing. So um, I've gone on Wikipedia, my favourite source for accurate information. <laughs> And they have literally got a lot, um, a thing for every single Shakespeare play. Um, there are a lot. There's a lot of films, okay. They're, they've been made into films, yeah. I mean, I, the only one I can think of personally that I've seen is Macbeth with with um, Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. And that was good, but it was like, it was a hard watch. Do you know what I mean? It's it's tough to... Well, the real stuff is tough to watch, not going to lie. You know, the stuff when it's all in Old English, like, I'm sorry, I... I, I can't concentrate for three hours to watch this and understand. What's well, going Will, on. H- how do you, how would you feel if I told you that um, you definitely have seen a Shakespeare film recently? Go on, The Lion King. <laughs> I haven't watched The Lion King recently. Is that oh. is that a Shakespeare plot? The Lion King apparently Hamlet, is based it? off Hamlet. Interesting. 
I didn't know that. But it's like She's the Man is um, Twelfth Night. Is it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, I, there are so many adaptations. I mean, there was a King Lear that came out two years ago with Emma Thompson, Anthony Hopkins, Florence Pugh. Like, that's a big cast. Okay, um, well, I'm just not seeing this stuff then. Maybe I need no, to check I know, this no, out. No, but I, I do know what you mean, though, Will, because they're not... I wouldn't say they're... How do I phrase it? Like, mainstream? There's yeah. not the audience for it, is They there, need like... to be made accessible, because that's the bit that people struggle with. Yeah, 100%. You know, th- fundamentally, the plot must be sound, because you've got things like The Lion King. Maybe just make every single one of them with animated animals. And, <laughs> but that's um, the thing, like, you'd think them. you'd chuck some A-list names in there without saying that it's a Shakespeare film. And that would hopefully get some traction. Yeah, get people to watch. Maybe just don't even call it, you know, don't call it King Lear or don't call it Macbeth. Call it, you know, adapt the uh, Yeah, I, I think as well, there's, I think in um, circles, there's a certain degree of... No, no worries, obviously... Thank you for bringing me my dinner. <laughs> That's sweet. They can't see you, so don't worry about <laughs> That's right into the mic. That's my head. <laughs> yep, right. What the fuck was I saying? Circles. Yeah, I think Shakespeare's one of those things where it's like, actors like to reserve for stage because it has a certain air of sort of snobbishness about it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It's something that, you know, theatre is what you do if you want to be revered cinema is what you do if you want to be famous and i think shakespeare still holds some of that plus like the negative connotations like i know when i was in school the last thing i wanted to do was read shakespeare yeah hundred no so 100% does, does that carry out i i don't know i i see both sides of it though i do agree with you i wouldn't say no to watching some really good adaptations though that's all i pretty much had i mean the only other thing is like very personal to me i think um the story of your life <laughs> yeah Story starting from zero to now no uh i've got a real interest in like the divide between east and west germany and i've i've seen a reasonable amount of television that has ended up being really good off the top of my head like deutschland 83 was like a really good series um and i just yeah i i haven't seen a lot of that explored in film but i that would be something i really really would be interested in seeing but would you want to see that in a kind of big budget but still german made show or film or when you say you want to see it you want to see it made into a film do you mean like you want hollywood or a big production company to pick it up yeah no i'd i'd want it to be still like rooted in in germany yeah because otherwise it gets a bit like diluted doesn't it yeah i think like a, that kind of film really needs to have a sense of identity and i feel like basically no one can do it justice unless almost unless they've lived through it which obviously we haven't um people our age so there's a there's a like a select few people that probably would would be able to make it that's probably why we haven't seen it but yeah no i i just find that period really really interesting so that's that would be my other pick i think that's all we've got time for today guys we've We've only done two questions, but we've we've covered quite a lot. So what I think questions they were? I mean, yeah. really got us going. Right. See you in a bit. <laughs> We're on to the film now, Harry. Film of the week. So this week, Stubbies, we've we've dived into Amazon Prime's latest. What would you call it? A, a, a detainee thriller, if that's a thing. The uh, the Mauritanian, starring. The talents of uh, Tahar Rahim, Jodie Foster, and Benedict Cucumber Sausage Patch. And 
Will, give us a little rundown of of the the main principles of what what we watched here. Okay, so Mauritania itself is a country in Western Africa, and the main character is the the kind of the protagonist that we follow is um, someone from this like Western Saharan nation, and he he basically has some some loose connection to some some bad people. Let's let's say. Um, terrorists <laughs> yeah go on narrow it down <laughs> and um yeah we kind of it starts off with we, we see him just at this celebration and he gets picked up basically by some authorities and it ends up that he gets sent to be detained by americans shortly after 9-11 which is when the, the film is set and he end up he ended up being placed in guantanamo bay and he was there for uh like over 10 years i think it was but he was never charged with anything and the the film is kind of exploring his time in guantanamo bay and uh, a lawyer that kind of picks up his his situation on a pro bono basis and is basically trying to get him out or at least get him a fair trial because he doesn't really know why he's there because you know as far as he's concerned he's he's never had anything to do with terrorism um so yeah that's that's kind of Loosely, yeah, it is, it is. It is. It's definitely not a, a fun film. It, it is a dark story, and it is true. Um, it's uh, based on the book written by the main character himself, actually. Whilst he, from his letters from Guantanamo, Rory, what did you think? Did you did you uh, did you enjoy this? Um, it's interesting. It's one of those films that I don't think you enjoy as a viewing experience. Mm. I think you're kind of you're either learning stuff as it's exposed or you can appreciate some of the cinematography. Um, I think there were some really good acting performances in it. I think Tahar Rahim was really compelling as um, as the Mauritanian Mohamedou Slahi. Um, Jodie Foster, I thought, was pretty good as the lawyer. I think it was quite a Jodie Foster role. I think the problem in my head is that when I see Jodie Foster, I just think Jodie Foster. I, I can't. I find it quite hard to separate the actress and the characters. Um, mm. But no, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was well done. Um, yeah, hard to say I enjoyed it. But as far as it exposed some of the things that go on in Guantanamo Bay and the attitudes that the American government and Amer- American military have, um, I thought it was a really good film. Harry, what did what were your initial impressions in terms of like maybe pacing or story i mean what rory said is right you can't the it falls into a very niche category of it's impossible to dislike because of what the source material is you know if you were to dislike it fundamentally that probably make you a racist um and there are a few films of a similar ilk where you're sort of like you've just got to appreciate what you've seen i think from the base from the uh storyline itself in terms of like compelling plot, I mean, ultimately, it's it's not, is it? Do you know what I mean? It's it is a man who is incarcerated. He he can't go anywhere. He can't do anything, and so they very much got to adapt that time as well as they can, which is why you've got the Jodie Foster lawyer element, and you've got the th- the controversy about Benedict Cumberbatch on the other side working for the army and these sort of things that all feel heightened to me. I, I can't say if they are or not, but they feel heightened. So, and there's there's one bit, this, this isn't really a spoiler, but about seven years of his sentence 
don't feature in this film whatsoever, which to me shows you that there isn't enough there for them to do something with, if you get what I mean. That was kind of, for me, the most impactful moment in the film. Um, I don't think this is a spoiler because it's a true story, so you probably should, like, maybe shouldn't, but I'm going to reveal it anyway. Um, It basically cuts at one point where he wins his case and he has a chance of freedom. And I think the the cut where it's he's like shouting freedom and it cuts him midway through and then explains that the next seven years he, he still didn't get free. He was still incarcerated without a charge. Um, I think that was like the most impactful thing because it's like this is not a happy story. It's good that he wasn't, that it's good that he's not still in prison. But like the whole point of this film is that it's revealing the atrocious behavior of the American military and the, and the American government. Um, and it's not something that should really, in my opinion, I don't think there should have been that last 20 minutes or for 10 minutes after that cut, because it's like, there should be, there shouldn't really be a happy ending. Totally, totally agree. Yeah. Like, I, they, you've, you've diluted the aim of what your show was, you know, you don't suddenly do a happy ending. Otherwise viewers don't, li- I think it's the thing with these films. It's very difficult finding a balance of making the viewer feel guilty but not making them almost irate at what they've seen. Yeah. Because you could risk, you could very much stray into the area of, oh, I don't want to be burdened by this sort of rubbish, which is how, weirdly, how I felt about something like Seaspiracy. But you also don't want to feel that you've been, and this is this is it's strange to explain it, especially given that we are, uh, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not going to say not directly related because that's a cop-out, but, you know, not being an American, I haven't got this weird attachment to things like 9-11 or a fear of Al-Qaeda or this idea that the military are the lord and saviour of my country. But it's a cop-out if you don't come out of this feeling resentment for how your military's treated other people. Definitely. And yet that's what the ending gives you, is the man smiling ha- smiling and happy, listening to Bob Dylan songs and reuniting with his family. And it's a very strange conflict with the emotion you felt for the entirety of the two hours you spent watching the film up till then. I that's think... The thing I... Oh, God, well. Sorry, I was just going to say, like, for me, I did very much feel like the last... I, I wasn't even conscious of this at the time, but I did feel like the last 20 minutes were kind of just a bit, like, dragging and was a bit of fill. Um, as a, like, simple viewer, I did kind of like seeing that, oh, like, he's actually okay. Like, he's a real person and he's actually okay. But just thinking about what you said, Harry, like, you probably... All you needed to do, because this is a real story, so what's the first thing you do after finishing the film you search the guy up right you go on google and you like look up who he is and that's the moment that you will realize oh like he did eventually actually get out and he's now in mauritania again and he, he's okay kind of thing um it would have been way more powerful fully agreed if they just left it at that it was interesting though because there must have been a certain thought process in that cut and how powerful it would be but the fact that that's not what the end of the film is seems a bit strange for me um I think it would have been better if it was that was the cut and then maybe like a month or so after the release of the film they put up a YouTube video of that last 10 minutes and was like this is the this is what he's been doing since um it was weird that they were like hey, this is the happy ending and then right at the end I think they basically um pointed out that he's still not allowed to leave Mauritania because his passport's yeah. been confiscated yeah um so it's like it is a happy ending but it's not really like you He's know, and le- you cut out that bit of him being happy at the end, and you've immediately got the man is still not accepting his own country. The USA have still done him a complete injustice, and 
for me, the biggest statistic was the bit where they said that there were 800 other de- detainees in Guantanamo and they've charged less than 10 of them. Yeah, they charged three. You know, three, that's, that's amazing. Like three. That's actually, actually incredible. You know, that I mean, that is... I don't, that is that's, that's more than slavery. That's horrendous. And it's, you know, a country that is so devoid of scope when it comes to how other people treat them to how they treat other people. You know, America looks at 9-11 as the biggest what would you say, threat to the regular way of life they've had since probably the nuclear crisis in the 60s, I would I would say. Or the Cold War, you know, the threat of um, mutually assured destruction. And yet they, they neglect to remember that they dropped two atomic bombs on a country. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, just today, Biden announced they were bringing troops out of Afghanistan. You know, the fact that they entered Afghanistan in the first place is amazing. So they're trying... The, but, you the, know... Sorry, Harry it's it's two two sides of the same coin because America can't see it when it's from their own perspective. So this film's important, but I just feel like it, you, you if I was if no sorry if I'm thinking about how I know that Americans tend to think in these sort of things, they've been given the patriotic line, the happy ending at the end, and immediately the guilt's gone. It's it's yeah. dissolved, it's diffused, and they don't have to go away with the feeling. Oh hey, well, actually, do you know what? I do feel a bit guilt. You know, I feel a bit guilty about what I've seen there. And I think it's because Prime have probably told them there's a compromise. If we're going to make you this film, you're going to have to put something in it for us. Because if it's just going to make people sad and annoyed, we don't want that hassle. So the the tragedy about the end of the film and like why you know it's focused so much on the main character is there isn't a resolution like on the other side of the story. Like as a viewer, there was <laughs> they didn't touch on okay, so how how is the American military or the American political system? changed or you know we got like one statistic about people that were still detained but then it was very much like you know we covered it the main character is very happy but you know as far as i'm aware um, like nothing's changed on the other side so i can't remember if it was the lack of like investigation or if the lack of punishment but it was the fact that he left prison like they released him and they were like we have nothing to charge you with but they never suffered any kind of punishment for keeping him in prison for no like what was it 16 years yeah and that's how all these things work you know the people that are on death row and then they get off after like 20 years and it's like oh shit like they weren't actually guilty sorry though like you're free so (laughs) there you go i mean let's try and move away from our sort of overriding feelings for the film's conclusion and the message it sends Rory, if you want to talk more about, you said you spoke before about how you find it difficult to discern Jodie Foster from Jodie Foster, and Tahar Rahim, you thought was good as well. Benedict Cumberbatch is, is a strange one to me because he's a leading man. There's no, there's no question of that. He's one of the biggest names in Hollywood at the moment. He's notorious for putting in a good performance in pretty much everything he's in. You know, if you don't watch Marvel films, obviously. What did you think about him in this movie? I think of the lead of all the characters who got decent screen time he was my least favorite uh, in terms of that his acting performance i think i thought he did a decent job with the american accent i think he was given quite an easy job in that that southern accent um it's so like distinct that it's a bit easier to put on um but i think he did an okay job uh when it i, I just found that the scenes with him in it i was less i was paying less attention like the scenes with jodie foster her kind of mentoring of this other lawyer and explaining the moral dilemma of being a pro bono lawyer. I found that really interesting and really compelling. The solo performances of Tahar Rahim as this prisoner shown no kind of respect or no proper justice, 
I found that really good. Um, and then Benedict Cumberbatch kind of just seemed like this kind of like whimpering face of the American military who eventually found out that they he was they were covering up for something horrible. But the whole time, I think I just felt this uncomfortable patriotism that you get with America. I think it was difficult with his character, and I agree, Rory. Like, I've got to say, like, I it was something to do with the pacing of the film for me. There, like, I'm not the kind of person that really gets distracted when watching films, but for whatever reason, I did find myself kind of like picking up my phone at points during this. Hundred percent, and it was always the Benedict Cumberbatch. Scenes yeah, um, but I think, like, with his character, like you say, he kind of has to represent that southern military man, probably very mild mannered not particularly animated doesn't seem to be phased by anything maybe that maybe that was something to do with it but yeah i agree probably not not his best work if you were thinking then more you know moving away from the acting obviously it's a film that does take place quite a lot in the restricted environment of guantanamo which they filmed in cape town rather than um in cuba obviously because i think it was a lot easier for them to do things like that i think also does guantanamo still run i feel like it must yeah do. i think so. i think it's still so, you about, know, i think there's i think there's which is amazing because there's probably still people sitting in there that part of that 800 that are featured in the film but there you go that's america for you did you did you like the art the limited art direction and you know things like the music as well because i actually think subtly the music plays quite a good role in this film even if you aren't aren't looking for it i think it's the easiest way to think you know it, it it accompanies rather than overwhelms is what i'd say well do you, do you think they did a good decent job what i would say is there were moments in this film where i kind of had uh, like my senses were a bit overwhelmed and i think that relates to kind of some of their choices of music but also some of their depictions particularly of the interrogation scenes. are you saying that in a bad way or just kind of when you say overwhelmed um, yeah because that's quite a uh, uh, I suppose it's a bit ambiguous. Important choice of words. Yeah, though, I think. overwhelmed in the sense that it was shocking, which I suppose ultimately might be the aim of the film. Well, it is. It's kind of an expose, I guess, isn't it? Right. Um, yeah, I, I, and I agree that the music was pretty good, but for me, it was more kind of the intense direction and the way that they shot some scenes. And I mean, like. Yeah, we can talk about it maybe in a bit more detail, but I mentioned it already. The interrogation scenes in particular, you know, at, at that moment, I definitely was not looking at my phone. I was kind of fully watching the screen, really engaged with what was going on. But it was because it was just so, so shocking. I don't know, Rory, have you got anything to add to that? I can't remember kind of specifically about the score, um, but when it comes to cinematography and kind of the art direction, I thought it was really good, actually. I think there were moments of some quite, maybe not innovative, but unique shots. Um, the one that comes to mind is Jodie Foster and... Uh, I can't remember the name of the actress for the other lawyer. Charlene Woodley, I think is her name. Yeah. Um, the scenes where they were kind of rifling through all the case files, they did some nice work with the camera to kind of show the length of time that it was required, the amount of effort they were putting in. Um, I really like those. I think that's quite nice in the sense that when you have that freedom to kind of creatively do what you can to communicate a scene like that, which in itself is quite boring, it allows you to do more wild stuff that's going to keep viewers' attention. I think with Benedict Cumberbatch, it was scenes a lot of the time was kind of dialogue between two quite boring characters who were talking about 
like American military and yeah. politics and you had to kind of focus on what was being said whereas with Jodie Foster you had this kind of morality this dilemma of morality um and kind of while that was going on the way it a lot of the kind of close-ups of the faces I really liked um and yeah kept you engaged by having different shots and different kind of presentation of what we were seeing I think one thing that I mean, this definitely isn't the first film to fail to get this across. Is so this man's been kept in Guantanamo for what did you say, Rory? Fifteen years. Fourteen years, I think it was eventually. And yet they give the impression, especially in this film, that for the large majority of it, it was nothing more than an inconvenience. And I think that's a massive error on their part. You know, when he's standing in there and he's having a chat with the guards who are giving him a coffee and he's having a bit of a laugh or he's kicking a football over the fence with the with Marseille as as his fellow detainees known as not until the more graphic torture parts does he ever look like he's that vexed about being in there and i suppose there's there's two sides to that obviously because he's trying to show on one side that faith's the thing that's persevering for him when he's in in Guantanamo but I think on the other side, you've got to somehow demonstrate how restrictive prison really is. And it's an odd one, because obviously there are films that are set in prison. They, they do a good job of showing you how, you know, you've got limited time outside, or, you know, your food's very restricted, or you're always constantly looking over your shoulder. But Guantanamo's not really got that vibe, and that's fine. But, you know, I think even something small as, because I've been thinking about this for a while, and I wonder if they've tried it, it, it as in a minute-long shot where the camera doesn't move, of just him sitting in his cell doing nothing, just thinking of what he can do. And it's almost that reflective period of he thinks about how, you know, it shows the monotony of prison, that you can't do anything, you are restricted, you are completely isolated from the outside world. Because otherwise, to me, the first hour of that film I was looking at, he doesn't particularly like where he is, and the guards don't get on with him, but otherwise he's not that far out of the way of, you know, I mean, obviously I'm taking that to a, an extreme but they just i just don't think they get the balance of how horrid prison is for this man i think it's tough to present because when we first see him in guantanamo bay he has been there for like um i think it's like four years or five years yeah. already um so a lot of it's working through the flashbacks to kind of convey his emotion but i think the scene that comes to mind when you talk about that which they did do and i thought it was quite it was quite a nice shot was um he'd been talking about the sea to marseille he'd be talking about like you can hear the sea like listen really closely and it was kind of liberating for him and then when he finds out um his relationship with marseille changes and the camera turns to this tiny hole in the fence of guantanamo bay and like very slowly but directly zooms in and you can like just about make out the sea through the fence um that was quite a nice shot that i picked up on that i thought kind of sim uh, not symbolized but kind of captured his uh, incarceration. Mm. I don't know. This is the first controversy we may have ever had on the podcast because I Doesn't I'm going to have to disagree with what you said, Harry. Like, I actually kind of like. I I do agree with you. I think the oh. majority of the film. No, I agree with parts of what you said because I think you know even when it looks like things are going well for him, like you know when he agreed to cooperate and he got a few luxuries, shall we say? I think that you know, still being in his situation must be pretty awful. You know, you're still in prison. So I agree that probably that element looked nice. But 
what I liked about what they did was kind of like we were introduced to him, you know, after he agreed to cooperate and he was in a better place than he was. And it wasn't until like later on in the film that they really hit home what it was like before he, you know, we find out that he agreed to basically just confess like to doing things that... Do do you know what? That's actually a really fair... I do, I do actually agree with you because I suppose part of it is the discovery that Jodie Foster and her assistant have of what he's been through. That's actually a fair point. But I, I almost feel like for an audience, if you've been watching this man, you know, having these chats and have, writing these letters and, um, you know, uh, praying freely and he's not being overly harassed, you know, overtly harassed by guards and things, I still think they've got to make more of an effort to show the restrictiveness, you know, that he lives in, that the, the life that ultimately has become his norm for the past five years. Because you're right, it is part of that discovery journey for the for the characters to almost build that plot, because otherwise you haven't really got a story, have you? you yeah. just got a man in prison. But in my mind, that almost makes it more difficult for you to build this story. I almost feel like then you need more story about how little he's had outside, you know, or, you know, more about the build-up of why he was being... It, you know, implicated in this nine eleven uh, recruitment yeah, work. Yeah, because why, why you know he was picked up by the Mauritian authorities in the first place and then ex- um, deported and things like this. I don't think that was really fully explored in the the film. To be fair, and it probably for a plot like they could have linked that. I think you only find out like quite late on in the film, kind of why he's fully implicated in in what's going on. That might help build suspense because as a viewer, you realise oh. He's actually definitely not involved, but you could look, you could flip that around and say, well, the ambiguity about actually knowing if he is implicated or not, that might aid the plot. I don't know, but I think there still is that ambiguity, though. I think there's like certain stuff that is true, right? I think he did go and train with Al Qaeda at first, yeah, yeah, because yeah, they miss was, it in the film when it was kind of like the Mujahideen and he was being like called to arms, well, not arms, but like called to action to protect that land, um, but. Yeah, when you see kind of with the case files, all the amount that gets redacted, the amount that gets taken out, um, I feel like they could have conveyed that a bit better in the direction of the film. Uh, Because if you're not going to show everything he has to go through as a prisoner, and you're the only time you see, the only glimpse you get of what he goes through, not the only glimpse, but a lot of it is kind of, oh, it's been taken out of the record. That in itself isn't really a jar, like jarring enough as a fact. Yeah. Another thing I would say as well, Harry, which agrees with what you originally said, like the fact you know, he gets quite chummy with like some of those guards. Yeah. And it's like they're mates. And, you know, come on. I really highly doubt. It's, it's te- that, it is true. That, that, strangely enough. Is it really? Yeah. So the guard at the end, Steve, who he I think he in one scene he talks to like one of the few guards that talks to him. And at the end, he's there at the, at the trial. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think in real life. He actually friends. like was friends with this guy, and they yeah. met up after he was released in Mauritania. Interesting. It's it's tricky because you know I I'm saying these criticisms, but then I'm trying to think how I would write this to convey what I'm trying to say, and I think it would require you to have these scenes in Mauritania that go a bit further, or you know explain the stuff about him in Germany in a bit more detail, or his training with the Al Qaeda a bit more fully, because they do they do a scene where. You know, from the torture, he he almost has this sort of uh, existential experience where he talks through his um, process when he was living in Germany. And I liked it, but it didn't fit the feel of the film. They've gone yeah, for a very rigid, linear plot. 
and then suddenly they're doing this sort of uh, slightly otherworldly scene. And I liked it. I thought it was a good idea, but it's not what that film is about, which is where I think you've got to be a bit more experimental with your with your angles, with your, your use of time and your use of the prison scenario. You know, it is restrictive, but that's almost why it would make a better film than you just going through the, 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 the motions of building your typical drama thriller American uh, you know legal story and I, and I do think that's possible you know for example Rory spoke about that scene where it, it zooms in on this bit of um, this hole in, in the fencing where he can see the sea and I get what you mean it just feels a bit obvious when they do it you know but but looking at it in my mind if they'd shown me that that hole in the wall and almost never zoomed in but maybe the sea had got louder and you hadn't realized. I think that shot would have been so much more powerful. You know, or this is me speaking though, you know, this is from what I would like. And I just think it would be it would be less obvious, but ultimately pack more of a punch for me. Yeah, I feel like if, like you said, with um that scene where he kind of remembers uh Germany and it's quite like abstract in that he's there but he's not there. Um I think if you set the tone of a film where that's kind of expected, or maybe not expected, but you see it and it's not completely caught you off guard, if you've got that tone then you can kind of afford to take even more liberties and play with the senses and do what you're saying with that fence scene. But I think when the general vibe of your film is, like you said, a Hollywood thriller, action, that kind of thing, it's a bit more off-putting when you take that dive into something a bit more rogue. Yeah. and Ultimately, that that would have been what I wanted from that film. Because... I mean, how many of these films have we watched so far on this podcast? You know, we're, what, eight in? And we've seen such a rigid plot structure for almost every new film we've seen. Well, I think I think that'd be fair to say, you know, we, we've not seen anything that really pushes the boat out. Like, Matrix was, what, the second film, third film we did? And that's hailed for being a, a genre-breaking sort of f- plot, storytelling, defining bit of cinema. And yet nothing we've watched since has done that for us. And, I, and, you know, we've watched a lot of films that we would put in the category of bang average. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. So when are we going to see, especially from one of these big companies, you know, this is an Amazon Prime exclusive. I don't know if I mentioned that. And we've watched a lot of Amazon and Netflix stuff. And I'm yet to see something that really sort of punches through something for something a bit different, something that isn't so, oh, it just feels formulaic. And how you watch it, you know, I could have told you that the Mauritanian was going to be how it was from the moment we started watching it, you know, I could tell you that the story was going to get worse and worse, but we still have had a happy ending. And I'd love to see something that really pushes it a little bit more and doesn't confine itself so heavily to the sort of stereotypes that Hollywood now seems to force on every film that gets mass produced. You know, I mean, this film won Golden Golden Globe, I think it had a couple of other nominations. It's not, I don't know. I don't think it's groundbreaking, and as I said at the start, it's one of those films that you can't not like. But I don't think that necessarily means it's a great film, or even one that I'd recommend. I think we're we're greedy, right? Like we've got to a point in film where we're like demanding so much for entertainment because some people have pushed boundaries and it's worked really well. So it's almost like when a film doesn't do that, that's kind of the standard, and it's it's a bit of a letdown. Yeah. I agree with you. I think. They could have had a really interesting angle or on on his whole story because it's it's true life, right? So we we know the linear story of of what happens. We know how long he was in there. We know he got out. They could have made this whole thing about just him in the prison, maybe some of his relationships, but it would almost be like internal thoughts and themes of like oppression and things like that. 
where we, we don't have this linear story of like he gets captured, he gets put in prison, he's there for fourteen years, he escapes. Well, he doesn't escape. What am I talking about? But he he's released. I don't I don't know. I feel like that could have been an interesting angle. But then again, you know, this is a true story film, so is that yeah? Is that and that and that is a constraint that? that I'm not taking into consideration is that we are going off the li- written memoirs of this man in prison. You know, they can't they abstract it too much. He can argue that they've bastardized whatever he said or that they've completely lost the emotion that he was trying to convey. But I still feel like I, I was hoping for a little bit more. I think that's just my overwhelming sentiment. Is that what I'm not, you know, it's not a film I'll be speaking about a year from now. It's not a film I'll be recommending. It's a good story. You know, I can't say I wouldn't recommend you going and reading his personal book. But film-wise, you know, it's not an adaptation that's, that's blown me away biopically anyway. I think there's better stuff out there. What rating are you giving it then, Harry? Yeah, so, do you know what? This conversation actually changed my mind a little bit because I think I've thought slightly more fully about how I felt personally. There are some people I know are going to say that I give this rating to every fucking film we watch, but it's literally like a low six for me. I just don't think, you know, it's it's the story that's carrying it. It's not how it's filmed. You know, it doesn't, br- it doesn't blow me away, but it is an interesting story, so I, I'd honestly give it maybe, you know, a 6.1, something like that. Okay, uh, Rory, what, what what would you say? I am actually a lot higher on it than you are. I think the only thing that brings it down for me is the fact I got just like basically turned off by Benedict Cumberbatch, who wasn't an interesting enough character, um, and basically lost my all the, all of my attention. Hmm. Um, I'd probably go something like an. I'm gonna say eight point one. I think it's it's high, but it just like. Brother, you're high if you're giving it an 8.1. <laughs> I'll tell you that for um, free. I just think, like, something that's going to be consumable and display the atrocities of Guantanamo Bay and a story that I did not know about. Like, I think this is, like, I would recommend this to someone. And I think as I recommended it, I'd, maybe not as I recommended it, I'd want to discuss it with the person afterwards because I think if they're into films, I think since it's a true story, I don't think there's that much to discuss in terms of plot. Um, but no, I think it was a good film. Yeah, that's fair enough. All right, Will. Interesting. Which way are you leaning? You're leaning towards Mr. Eight or I am. Me. You know what? I'm a seven spot zero. Like I'm bang on seven. Spot zero. Yeah, mate. Accounting term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no really think, i was yeah. a, i was a bit lower on it before actually we spoke about it because i was concerned the amount that i was kind of switched off from it um but i'm kind of having an internal battle about you know what rory says this is like this is a film that i think you tell people yeah like i think you have to watch it just because of what it exposes and kind of what it a, a story that it highlights that you're probably not so you'd say more before. in the category of necessary watching rather than something exceptional. Yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent. Yeah, I don't think this is an exceptional film. Maybe, maybe I should be lower than an eight point one. Because that—that's my thing. Yeah. Is that I've, I was going to get as high as you know my high sevens, getting on to eights. I'm trying to think of the things I've watched recently yeah. that I've given sort of those sort I of. Think I've, it, I fact, I think I'd bring it. I thought something bring it down to like a mid seven because I think eight eight plus is like exceptional, like a film that you kind of immediately start thinking of when you think of good films. Yeah, and I I could be being a touch harsh. I think it's because I've overanalyzed some scenes that I think it could be done better, but then that comes down to stylistic preference and things like that. But I think just off the back of this as well, like one thing I came away from watching this film, and this is a bit like removed from the film itself, but I think we're quite lucky 
in the West that we've got a film that's this critical of something that's happened quite recently in our in our history. I, you know, we're talking about people in China that are like burning Nike products because it's been found out that there's slave labor in their cotton fields, so Nike don't want to be involved. And a government that you know is putting people on concentration camps and trying to get rid of their religion, like I, I that's actually something I took from this film, which is why I feel it's relevant. But mm. we're watching a film that takes that is set like less than twenty years ago. That's you know, you know, we can say it's got a happy ending, but let's be honest, it's very critical of actions that's taken place, and it is very much an expose. Um, you know, I think we're quite lucky that we live in a Western society. Well, I'm just saying that because, you know, it's America, but I think we're involved in things like this too in yeah, the UK. Um, yeah. I think we're lucky that this is on, like, a major streaming platform and, you know, we have the right to, to view it and someone's had the right to make it. That's just what I wanted to say about that. Well, um, those are our thoughts on the Mauritanians. That's streaming now on Amazon Prime if you fancy giving it a watch. Um, so that's where we'll leave you this week. Uh, a little bit of analysis, a few goose and gaffs, a few laughs, and then obviously a very heavily politically themed uh, debate at the end. Um, all I've got left to say really is thank you to my co-anchors, Rory and Will. Thanks, guys. You're very welcome. All of thank you. Thank you, Harry, for hosting. No, yes, thank me. Um, and it might be a while before our next one. You know, we've we, we've got the sound of metal coming up, which we, I am genuinely excited for. I think this is the first new release we've we've got coming on the way that I've been really looking forward to with Riz Ahmed, the man who just can't seem to win an award at the moment. Um, but obviously, these boys are so busy scheduling conflicts may interrupt our uh, our recording plans. Wait, but no worries, me? we will hustle. We will bustle and we will get that podcast. Are you telling me we that... actually get to watch one of these films that we talk about every time we mention awards? Yeah, we're, we're actually going to see something that's supposed to be critically acclaimed. Can't and wait. I don't mean some shit like The Matrix. Oh, sorry. <laughs> really good film like The Matrix. So, um, yeah, that's goodbye from us. We'll see you in the next one. Stay safe, stay warm. Stay stubborn. Stay, warm. stay stubby. Stubborn. Keep stubborn. Save the stars.